Today's scripture out of James 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you who know, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. But this morning we want to talk about what is perhaps the most powerful and most dangerous part of the body. As you've just heard, that's the tongue. As a boy, when someone would call me a name or say something mean to me, I would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. You probably have used that too at various times. You know, I wanted that to be true, but it's such a lie. <laughs> sticks and stones can break your bones, but those bones will heal over time. But words can inflict, inflict such deep wounds that they fester sometimes for a lifetime. And so James is concerned about that, the power of the tongue. James is a wonderful book, and as Rod's been teaching us up to this point, the first couple chapters, he's helped us understand how James has such a heart for us to live out our faith. See, James is concerned that too often we can talk about being a believer and we can focus on what we know or what we believe, but James is concerned that we should live it out. You see, for James, faith is important. That's what saves us. But our works reveal the integrity of our faith. And so if our faith is real, our lives will be changed. And so he points to a number of areas, very practical in our lives, that James says should be different if we're believers. And today our passage, as you've heard, is on the tongue. He wants us to see how powerful the tongue is, so we'll use it for good not to do harm. So he begins right in the middle of the church and, and begins with teachers of the Bible. Verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who, we who teach will be judged 
more strictly. More literally, what he's saying here is this. So many of you should stop becoming teachers. You see, a lot of people were becoming teachers. And he says, you need to stop that. It's not for everybody. It's only for a few. Apparently, a lot of people were aspiring to become teachers in the early church. Why was this? Well, it helps understand the culture a little bit. James is writing primarily to Jewish believers came out of the Jewish faith. And in the Jewish faith, the teachers, the rabbis, were the most prestigious people in Judaism. John MacArthur writes this, Above all else, rabbis were master teachers and were accorded great honor and respect by their fellow Jews. As reflected in the Gospels, many rabbis relished their prestige and privilege. In some Jewish circles, rabbis were held in such high regard that a person's duty to his rabbi was considered greater than that to his own parents. Because his parents only brought him into the life of this world, whereas whereas his rabbi brought him into the life of the world to come. So there was a lot of prestige for these people and teachers. But then the gospel came. And the gospel is the great equalizer. We're all equal at the foot of the cross, aren't we? And the gospel teaches that we're all gifted. We're all valuable. And that God gives certain people to be teachers. So the early church opened the door for people to step into a lot of different ministries. They didn't have to have all the training that the rabbis had had to have. But the Bible teachers were still very prestigious and very influential in the early church as they traveled around and taught people the Bible because people couldn't read. They didn't have written Bibles. And so the teachers were very influential and very important. And, of course, that appealed to our pride. People wanted to become teachers because it was an important position. Well, James is challenging that prideful point of view, and he says, stop so many of you becoming teachers. But he tells us why we should not so many of us become teachers. It is a calling from God, but listen to what he says. He says in verse 1 there, we who teach will be judged more strictly. You see, not many of us should become teachers because teachers are held to a higher standard of accountability. We're especially accountable. We're all going to be accountable for, before God for what we say, but when a teacher stands before others and claims to be speaking for God, claims to be speaking the words of God, that puts us in a position of greater accountability. It's a dangerous place to be because you will be held to a higher standard, James is writing. And so, because of that, he says not many of you should become teachers. But then he gives us another reason. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's perfect, able to keep his whole body in check. Teachers are not only especially accountable, but they're especially vulnerable Because notice what he's saying here. He says, look, we all stumble in lots of different ways. And for all of us, our particular constellation of sins is a little different than the other people around us. But we all stumble in many, many ways. I've just happened to make a list of my multitude of sins. You can pick it up in the back. It's a 500-page book. (laughs) No, we all stumble in many ways. But notice what he says. All our sins look a little different, 
except for the tongue. We all sin with our tongues. Nobody's exempt from that. And you see that makes us as teachers especially vulnerable because the tool for our ministry is our tongue. And if we all stumble with our tongue, that means we are especially vulnerable to do harm with our tongue because we all fail with it. So because of these things, I'm looking for another ministry at Cole, something where I don't have to use my mouth. (laughs) Thanks for the encouragement, brother. (laughs) Rod. (laughs) You know, this passage is is very sobering for me as a teacher of God's Word. And I think it should be. It's meant to be. I feel a great weight from these verses. In fact, I, in fact, I think of them often when I'm preparing to teach. And it makes me really want to study hard and get into the Scripture and make sure what I teach when I have the opportunity to teach on a Sunday morning or whatever context, that I, what I'm teaching really emerges from the Word that it's not from my own biases and it's not from someone else's biases. It's not what someone else has said, but it's what God has taught in His Word. And so I need to soak in the Scriptures. I need to be a good exegete. I need to spend a lot of time there and make sure what I'm teaching is from the passage of Scripture that God's given me to teach. And it also makes me pray a lot when I teach. And I pray things like, Lord, please speak through me. Let it be your words. Let them remember what's from you, but let them forget what's of me. Because words are powerful and influential. So it's a great responsibility to teach. But as James goes on, we all struggle with our tongue, and we all have a great responsibility because the tongue is such a powerful part of who we are. So there's several truths he wants us to know, all of us, to know about the tongue. And first, he wants us to know that the tongue is powerful. So he gives us a couple of analogies. Listen to verse 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. The horse is a big, powerful animal. If you've ridden horses, you know that. And yet, with a bit, you can pull on it, you can pull back, you can use it to direct this big, powerful animal, a small bit. You can get it to jump, as in the picture. You can direct that powerful animal in the way that you want it to go. Then he says this, Or, verse 4, Take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Here he uses the example of the rudder of a ship. This picture is of the Bismarck, which was the biggest ship that set sail and the most powerful and fastest ship of World War II. It was a German battleship. It defeated every foe that it faced of the Allied fleet until as they tried to find it, they finally found it and, and a torpedo came and hit the rudder. And so this big, powerful ship that we couldn't defeat became literally a sitting duck in the Atlantic Ocean. It could only go in a circle. It could not go anywhere else because the rudder had been destroyed. And so the Allies began to gather around it and began to pummel it until they finally sank the mightiest battleship of World War II. 
You see, the rudder is very powerful. And then he goes on to say this. Likewise, the tongue. It's a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. It says mighty things. It has great influence. It is very powerful, like a bit, like a rudder. It has great, great influence on other people. You see, the words we use can penetrate the very heart's and souls of other people, can't they? A man came to me, and I hadn't seen him in 10 years. And he said, you know what? The words that you shared with me when we had that discussion 10 years ago changed the direction of my life. Thank you so much. To be honest, I did not remember what I said to him. But God used that in a mighty way. But I can think of a number of other examples where I've said things that did harm. One example, a a co-worker came to me and said, you know what? You said something that was so hurtful to me in a meeting that I realized I could no longer work with you any longer. And that's why I left the job. You see, my words had done great harm. Our words are powerful. They can be used for great good or for great harm. Just think about words and about their power. Think of the power of three little words like, I love you. Or words like, I hate you. The power of words like, will you marry me? Or response like, no way. (laughs) You see, words can change the whole direction of your life, can't they? Just a few little words. As a child, a young person, even an adult, we can have words spoken to us that can go very deep into our very hearts and souls and affect our lives. Some of you are probably thinking right now of words that have been spoken to you that had a dramatic impact on your life and affected you. When I was eight, year old, eight years old, my parents, I was a pretty intense little boy <laughs> and pretty emotional, pretty passionate. And my parents said to me, you better get a hold of yourself or you're going to have an ulcer by the time you're 10. <laughs> you know what that caused me to do? It made me realize, oh, no, emotions are bad. So I better just stuff them inside. And it's really taken a lot of my life for the Lord to work on me to overcome some of the harm that was done by those words and how I responded to those words. Some of you had very cruel words said to you that have affected the way you live your life today. Words have power. Why do they have such power? I think it's because if you think about how God is portrayed and how powerful his words are. Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And light was created. And all six days of creation, God said, and it happened. You see, God's word will not return to him void. God's words have tremendous power. And we are made in the image of God. And as human beings, God has so endowed our words that they have tremendous power for good or for harm. 
And that is James' point. Your words have power. You're created in God's image. You need to know that your words can be used for great good or great harm. And now he goes on to say, not only are your words powerful, but they are very dangerous. The tongue is dangerous. Verse 3, or excuse me, verse 5, the end of the verse. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and sets the course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. We're experiencing the worst summer probably on record for, for fires, forest fires right now. It's terrible in the state of Idaho. I worked for five summers doing firefighting. Over those years, I was on many, many fires. And you know what? Every one of them, without fail, started small. But that small fire spread. And it spread and it took in more and it destroyed more and more and more. And when a fire does that, eventually what you get left with is devastation. And it takes many, many years for the land to recover, for life to return to a place where death has entered through a fire. But James's point is that the tongue is just like that. Just a few words can start a fire that spreads and affects more and more people from person to person, tree to tree, so to speak, and de- cause devastation. And it spreads And it takes a long time, years or even a lifetime, to recover from the devastation sometimes that the tongue can cause. Think about Don Imus, radio talk show host, who's been in the news the last few months because of a racial slur that slipped out of his mouth. He's lost his job. He's lost his reputation. You see, the tongue can direct your life, James says. It sets the course of your life sometimes. And not only that, but notice what he says. He says it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. (laughs) James doesn't mince words, does he? And I think what he's saying there is he says the tongue becomes a way that Satan can influence us to do harm to others. It's set on fire by hell itself. It becomes an entry point for Satan to do harm to others through our tongue. How do we do this? Well, how does this happen, this, this fire that spreads from tree to tree and person to person and goes way beyond us, just from some words that we say? Well, as you know, gossip, slander, lying, rumors, we easily fall into those, don't we? And when we say something, it slips out of our mouth. It's a criticism about somebody else and someone else picks that up and they pick it up and they pick it up and they pick it up. Pretty soon reputations are destroyed. Relationships are destroyed and harmed. And it goes on and on. And once it gets going, it's impossible to stop. I know because I've tried. You can never run it down. The fire just keeps going 
It's out of control. So James is so concerned that we use our tongue in those ways. It's dangerous when we allow ourselves to talk about people rather than talk to them. If you have a concern, Jesus says very clearly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, he says, if you're at the altar and you're offering, offering an offering to God and someone has something against you, something you've done against them, go to them and make it right. Don't go to someone else. Don't talk to someone else. Go to them. In Matthew 18, verse 15, he says, if you have something against your brother, your brother has sinned against you, go to them and make it right. Don't talk to other people. <laughs> go directly to them. You see, whether you've sinned against them or they've sinned against you, God puts the responsibility on us to go directly to the person and work out the relationship. Because in the body of Christ, what God's so concerned about is that we learn to love one another and forgive and live relationships that are full of forgiveness and care and love and not let the fire of slander and lying and rumors and gossip spread because it is destructive if we allow it to happen. Well, if this is so true, if the tongue is that powerful and that dangerous, what should we do? Work really hard to tame it, right? To control the tongue. Okay, I'll just bite my tongue. Well, listen to what James says to that attitude. Verse 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Mankind can tame all kinds of animals, he says, but no man, no human, no person can really tame their tongue. You can try to bite your tongue, you can, you can hold back, but eventually it's going to slip out. It's going to come through in your attitude and how you treat people. Eventually it comes out. So we cannot tame the tongue. But notice the key phrase there, no man can tame the tongue. No human can tame the tongue. And that, I think, gives us a hint as we go into these next verses about what can maybe help us begin to deal with the tongue. And he says one more thing he wants us to know. Verse 9 and following. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Maybe you're kind of going, was James listening in as we were getting ready for church today? <laughs> or as we were driving here, <laughs> somebody cuts you off and you say, what a jerk. And then you sit down in church and you praise God. <laughs> He's saying it should not be that, that our tongues out of our mouths should come cursing men and yet praising God as well. There's something wrong with this picture. And he goes on to just explain it more. He says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
whether it's a spring or a fig tree or a grapevine, it will produce what comes out of it is what's inside. If it's a grapevine, it'll produce grapes, not figs. If you've got pure water inside, what comes out is pure water. You see, it shouldn't be a mixture, right? In other words, he's, what he's saying is the tongue reveals the heart. What comes out of your mouth reveals what's in your heart. Oh, you can maybe put up a good front for a while. I can put up a good front for a while. But eventually what slips out of my mouth is what's in my heart. The tongue reveals the heart. So what do we do with this? Very sobering, isn't it? What do we do? How do we deal with the fact that the tongue is so powerful, so dangerous, that it reveals our hearts? Well, we put together a kit for you you can purchase in the foyer on how to deal with the heart. It contains a roll of duct tape. (laughs) You know, you could try that. (laughs) But as you know, it wouldn't work. Because even if you never said a word, what would come out of your life would still reflect what's in your heart. The real issue is in your heart, right? It's not just what comes out of your mouth. So let me give you six very practical suggestions on how to respond to this passage that is so powerful and so sobering for us. First suggestion, very personal one for me. (laughs) Pray for your teachers. Pray for your teachers, whether in church, growth group teachers, Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, whoever they are, pray for your teachers that God would speak to them and that they would speak God's words and God would protect them from getting into trouble with the tongue. It happens easily. Pray for us. Second suggestion, if you are a teacher, take it seriously. God calls us to be teachers and we need teachers who are willing to teach the word and be courageous and bold and not be afraid to teach. But take it seriously and be a good student of God's Word and make sure what you're teaching is God's Word and not just your opinion or somebody else's opinion. But study the Word. Get the tools. Get help. But study the Word and make sure what you're saying is God's Word. Third suggestion for all of us. Don't give in to gossip. Don't give in to slander. When someone comes to you and says, did you hear about? And everything in you says, oh, I can't wait to hear this. (laughs) We love that, don't we? But at that point, don't give in to it. Say, you know what? If it's about somebody else, I don't need to hear this. Stop the fire right there. Dig a fire line. (laughs) Pull out a hose and blast them with it. (laughs) Put out the fire right there. Say, no. I don't want to hear this. Stop it. It's so tantalizing to give into it, but don't. Don't give in to gossip or slander about someone else. Encourage the person. If you have a problem with so-and-so, go talk to them. That's what God calls us to do. Go talk directly. Do it in a spirit of love, not in anger. Work through your own heart, but go talk to them. Seek redemption by talking to them. Don't talk about them. 
Don't give in to gossip. Suggestion number four. When you do blow it with your tongue, and we all do, (laughs) every one of us, it's the area I struggle with probably more than any other, my use of my tongue. When you do fail, turn to Jesus. Apologize to the person, but turn to Jesus and ask him not just to help you with your words, but to purify your heart because you know the tongue reveals the heart. Use it to say, Lord, I've got a problem in here. I need you to work in here. I need you to help me. You see, it's in our thought life and it's in our heart that God needs to work if we're having problems with the tongue. So learn to cling to him. Lord, I need you to help me with my life and my words and my attitude. Number five, forgive those who have harmed you with the tongue. We've all been harmed by other people, by what they've said to us. And it's ongoing because we're imperfect and we struggle and and all. But forgive. Don't let the, the root of bitterness continue on. Let it go. Let it go. Forgive them and move on. Don't let it continue to burn in your soul. And number six, final suggestion, seek to bless with your tongue, not curse. Realize that it isn't all about, oh no, I better not say anything harmful. No, what we have is the privilege, because the tongue is powerful, of blessing people in powerful ways by words of encouragement, words of blessing, words of help, words of appreciation. You see, words are powerful, so seek to use your tongue to bless others. Realize that, you know, yes, I'm a mixture. Yes, yes, I struggle with the flesh, but God is in me. And as I, tend, as I depend on Him and His life in me, out will come words of life to others. It's a great privilege we have. God has given your words great power and He says use them to bless others. I want to end with a story of a mentor of mine, Larry Crabb, Dr. Larry Crabb, as he tells the story that I think helps us understand how words can be a blessing to others. When he was a boy, he was in a church where it was a small church and they were encouraging the young men to stand up and lead in prayer. Well, as a young man, he stuttered a lot. He struggled a lot. But one day, as he says, feeling the pressure of the saints more probably than the encouragement of the Spirit... (laughs) He stood up to pray. And he describes it this way. Filled less with worship than with nervousness, (laughs) I found my theology becoming confused to the point of heresy. I remember thanking the Father for hanging on the cross (laughs) and praising Christ for triumphantly bringing the Spirit up from the grave stuttering throughout the prayer, I finally thought of the word, Amen, 
perhaps the first evidence of the Spirit's leading, (laughs) said it and sat down. I recall staring at the floor, too embarrassed to look around and solemnly vowing never again to pray or speak aloud in front of a group. When the service was over, I darted toward the door, not wishing to encounter an elder who might feel obliged to correct my twisted theology, but I was not quick enough. An older Christian man named Jim Dunbar intercepted me, put his arm on my shoulder and cleared his throat to speak. I remember thinking to myself, here it comes. Oh, well, just endure it and get to the car. I then listened to this godly gentleman speak words that I can repeat verbatim today more than 20 years later. Larry, he said, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you 1,000%. Then he walked away. Those words were life words. Those words had power. They reached deep into my being. My resolve never again to speak publicly weakened instantly. Since the day those words were spoken, God has led me into a ministry in which I regularly address and pray before crowds of all sizes. I do it without stuttering. I love it. Not only death, but also life lies in the power of the tongue. Folks, you and I have the opportunity to bring life to people that can help set the direction of their lives for good. So let's be people that give life words to one another, not death words. Well, I want to close this with reading a verse from Psalm 19. You've already heard it several times. Why don't we just stand as I read this verse and close us? Psalm 19, verse 13 and 14. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. See, the psalmist got it right. He connected the mouth and the heart. And as you seek to depend on the Lord with your heart, out of your mouth will come words of life. Isn't that what we all want? (laughs) It's what I want. Lord bless you as you walk with him and speak words of life to one another this week. God bless.